This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. You may be seated and grab a Bible. If you didn't bring your own, there should be some under the seats near you. And you can open up to Acts 26. We'll be studying our Acts passage today. While you're doing that, I want you to imagine this scenario. Pretend you work for a company, a big company. It has thousands of employees. And this company seeks to motivate its employees through fear of failure. So every department has huge demerit boards posted up on the wall. And if you make a mistake, your name goes on the demerit board. Another mistake, you get marks after it and docked in pay and all kinds of other probationary measures. Now you work in this company, and in your department, you have implemented a merit board. And when somebody is doing well or employees are performing, their name goes up there. And if there's little stars after the name, enough stars, then you get to have an ice cream party. And you all sit around in a circle and you fill each other's buckets. And your department, productivity is up. Everybody's happy. But your supervisor is super jealous because he created the demerit board. He loves the demerit board. It's an institution in the company. He thinks it works. And he believes that the reason you're doing this whole merit board thing is just to get his job. You want his job, you want him out. So he wants you out. All right, so now picture that he's gathered together about a dozen other of your coworkers who, for whatever reason, don't like you. Maybe hard for you to imagine. Try to imagine it. There are a dozen people. It's a big company, big company. They don't like you, so he's gathered them. They're on his side. And he's brought you in before the CEO. And also, J.B. Pritzker is there for some reason. And he has a two-inch thick portfolio of mostly false accusations. A lot of it is just spun of reasons why you should be fired. Here you are in this room with powerful people. Many of them don't like you, and you have to defend yourself. That's exactly the situation Paul was in. So to catch you up, from last week's story when he was saying goodbye to the Ephesian leaders, that was two years prior to today's story. Since that time, he sailed to the Holy Land. He went to Jerusalem. He was accosted by a mob. He proclaimed truth to them, but they didn't like it. So they arrested him and sent him to the Sanhedrin, which was the same council that condemned Jesus. He spoke to the Sanhedrin, and they didn't like it and they wanted him dead. They tried to kill him, but the plot was foiled, and he ends up for two years in prison under the governor of that Roman province, so the same seat that Pontius Pilate had held when Jesus was ministering. So it's a guy named Festus, and now he, together with the king over the Jews and his wife Bernice, so this is King Agrippa and Bernice, and the Roman governor, all the military officials of the town, the most prominent people of the city, all of their servants, and yeah, the Jewish leaders, the highest-ranking Jewish officials, are all gathered in this room at Caesarea by the sea, the provincial capital. And the spotlight is on Paul, and many there want him dead. How does he handle that spotlight? He's cheerful. Oh, it's fortunate that I get to speak to you today, King Agrippa, he says, in the verses we didn't read. He's not frustrated that two years of his life he's been locked away on baseless charges. He's done nothing deserving death or even imprisonment. But instead, he sees this as an opportunity to proclaim the Word of God, the good news about Jesus. And that is what Paul 
has given his life to do. That's all he cares about doing. So he doesn't care that he's been in prison. He doesn't care that he's surrounded by people who hate him and want him to be dead. He says, great, another chance to talk about Jesus. Later in his life, when he's writing one of the last letters that we have from him to his disciple Timothy, it's the letter we call 2 Timothy, he's also in prison. It's a different imprisonment than this one. But he's in prison, and he says to Timothy, I am chained like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. I may be bound, but the word of God is not, Paul says to Timothy. It's going forth. And after all, Paul knows that this word of God, this message about Jesus, the truth about God that is in Jesus Christ, this is a message that thrives in apparent weakness. This is Jesus we're proclaiming, who was the crucified and then risen Lord. Just when he seems like he's losing, or when he's gone or he's out of play, that's when God shows up and turns a surprise victory. One of my favorite passages is from Revelation 1, where John uh, is in a vision. Jesus is speaking to him, and Jesus says, Fear not. I am the living one, the first and the last. Yes, I was dead, but now I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. In other words, he's saying, don't be afraid. I was weakened even to the point of death. And when to the eyes of the world I had completely lost, I was dead and my body was in the grave, at that very same time, I was seeking out Hades. I went and I found death, and I dealt him a deadly blow. And then I stole his keys. While the world above thought I had lost. And so the world looking on at Paul's situation says, you've lost. You're in prison. Your back is up against the wall. You are facing accusations from the most powerful people in your nation. And yet Paul is cheerful. He surveys the scene and he says, this is a good day for the gospel. This is a ripe opportunity for the message about Jesus, again, which thrives in apparent weakness. Jesus, who came in the weakness of a baby to a poor family of an oppressed nation, who became a poor carpenter, but even in the popular years of his ministry, he was a wandering homeless prophet who had to rely on God for his daily food and shelter. Why would Jesus choose that kind of life? And how could he endure when on top of that he's also under immense pressure from the powerful in his life who reproached him and opposed him and falsely accused him almost constantly. Why would, Jesus choose, why would Jesus choose that? How did he endure that? And the answer is because while he was a poor, wandering prophet to the eyes of the world, he knew he was at the selfsame time the eternal word of God through whom the heavens and the earth came into existence that he was at the same time the one in whom all things, even at that moment, held together, and the one in whom all creation is made new. He knew this. He could clothe himself with human weakness because he never forgot, nor did he ever deny, that he was at the same time the king of kings, the Lord of all, and that he was one with his Father in heaven, God who is never defeated, who cannot be overthrown, whose purposes always prevail and cannot be thwarted. Praise God. And Jesus knew this. That's Jesus. Human limitations did not limit his ministry. 
human limitations made it all the more glorious. So here we have Paul, a follower of Jesus, who, as Father, Father Matt reminded us last week, said, I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So Paul is imitating Christ in facing accusations and in a place of perceived weakness. He's unashamed and unafraid. He's confident, but his confidence is not in himself. His confidence is in God. So he can say, though I am in chains, the word of God is not. The word of God is not bound. The message about Jesus, the truth about God, will continue to go out and go forward, whatever the circumstances. The word of God is not bound because God is not bound. Human chains cannot hold back, hinder, or shackle divine purposes. Amen? And all the things that we feel as limitations and chains upon us are not limitations to God. I want to ask you this morning, do you know that you have a ministry of the Word of God? Do you know that you have a ministry to proclaim truth about God to the people in your lives? Like Paul did. Not exactly like Paul, but not exactly unlike Paul either. And please don't think that the ministry of the Word of God only belongs here from a pulpit on a Sunday morning. No, the ministry of God is all through the week and in the mouth of every believer. In your homes, you're discipling your children. You're encouraging your spouses with roommates and friends. You're speaking the truth about God at a moment when they need it. In your res groups, what a beautiful place to proclaim God's truth to one another and build up the faith of each other. We all have a ministry of the Word of God, and it reminds me of what Paul writes in his letter to the Colossians. In 3.16, he says, Let the Word of Christ, that is, the truth about Jesus, the message about Jesus, the truth about God, and yes, the actual words of Christ, the Scriptures, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. He's saying we all have a ministry of the Word of God, and we're to speak that truth about Jesus to one another and to not let anything shackle the Word of God and the ministry of the Word of God in our mouths. But unlike Paul, you and I oftentimes lack the confidence to say the Word of God is not bound. Oftentimes we feel the, the Word of God is bound from coming out from my lips. And it may be that the chains upon you feel like hardship and suffering. When it comes to your life, you say, I'm sorry, I'm not like Paul. When I experience hardship and suffering, I do not respond like that. I get quiet about the truth of God. Or anxiety and the stress of, over, of life that can just be overwhelming. And of course, Satan's purpose in that is to distract you, to get your focus off what your true focus is from what the ultimate aims are that you're to be about. But anxiety and, and stress in life, a common chain that holds back the Word of, of God. Fear of many kinds, but especially the fear of what others will think of me the fear of failure, the fear of being rejected, the fear of being ridiculed for what I might say. Or there might be the chain or the limitation of ignorance. 
I didn't know I had a ministry of the Word of God, you might say. I thought that was for the people who wear dresses up on stage. Who's my ministry to? When do I do that? How? There may be insecurity. Wait, who, me? No, 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 you, you don't understand. I'm, I'm not worthy. I don't know enough. I'm too sinful. You got a list of 10 things. You would say, well, this is not a good idea that I should be proclaiming God's truth to anyone else. Or there's simply apathy. I don't really care. I'm not even always sure why I come to church. And there may be others that I'm not listing here that are chains and limitations upon you that keep you from your ministry of speaking the Word of God. We'll come back to this list at the end. But for now, let's go to our story and see how in the text today, the Word of God is not bound. So first of all, the Word of God is not bound by the literal chains. At the end of Paul's speech, he holds up his chains, and you can hear the chains rattling as he says, I wish that all of you would become as I am, except for these rattling chains. But those chains could not keep the message from going out. But more than the physical chains, nor did the hatred, the accusations, and the scorn of the opponents hold back the Word of God. Look at verse 12. Paul speaking, he says, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of who? The chief priests. The same ones who are in the room now wanting to kill him were the ones in the same authority of, body of authority that had sent him years prior to go persecute Christians. Those same ones are now in the room, and they're after him. But he's not daunted by his chains. He's not daunted by his opponents. Because number two, the Word of God is not bound by the fear of men or the fear of ridicule. So now look at 24, verse 24. As Paul was saying these things in his defense, Festus, and that's the governor, he said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning has driven you out of your mind. And Paul says, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. I'm speaking true and rational words, for I'm persuaded, or I'm speaking to the king who knows about these things. I speak to him boldly, for I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. These things meaning about Jesus and what he's done. And then he turns to the king, one of the most powerful men in the Eastern Mediterranean. He speaks to him directly and says, do you believe the prophets, king? I know that you do. He's bold. He has no fear of man because the Word of God is not bound by the fear of man or the fear of ridicule, even in the moment that he is being ridiculed by Festus and made fun of. Related to this, number three, the Word of God is not bound by human pressure to say the right thing. Let me say that again. The Word of God is not bound by human pressure to say the right thing. Here Paul is in a room packed with powerful people. Yes, highest-ranking Jewish leaders who want his death. There's Festus and Agrippa and Bernice, who maybe are neutral towards Paul, but these are the most powerful people in the region. And Paul is a smart guy. He knew what he could have said to make them happy, to have them drop their charges, and allow him to walk out of there free. He's a smart guy. And he knew all he had to do was just say the words they wanted to hear, and he would be free. But he knew in his heart, actually, I'm already free. I may have chains on, but I'm free. I'm free to believe and to proclaim the truth that I know. 
in that same letter, 2 Timothy, before he says the word of God is not bound, a little further up he says, I am not ashamed to suffer because I know in whom I have believed. I know Jesus, and I'm confident in him. And I have to testify to what I've seen and to what I've experienced. I can't hold it back. So Paul does not give in to the human pressure to say what the powerful people in the world around, in the room right around him want to hear. And all of us, increasingly, are going to find ourselves in situations where you're in a room and seemingly everybody else in that room is pressuring you to say or to think something that you do not believe to be true. And it will feel like that's the right thing to say. Yet deep in your heart and your conviction, because of your belief in Jesus and your following him as his disciple, you know that's not what I believe. And you'll have to resist that pressure to say what you know not to be true, even though everybody around you is going to want you to say that. And you are going to want to say that. One part of you is going to want to say that. When those moments come, may we have Paul's courage to say, I know whom I've believed, and the Word of God is not bound. It's not bound by fear of ridicule or fear of what others think or the pressure to say the right things. Third, the Word of God is not bound by human partiality. Look at verse 22 and verse 29. So he says, To this day I've had the help that comes from God, so I stand here testifying both to small and great. He's in a room full of the most powerful people, but there are also servants. There are no names and nobody's in that room as well. And to, to Paul, they're just as important. They are his audience as well, to small and great. And if one of the nobodies receives Jesus today, Paul would say that is a miracle that's just as worth celebrating as if the king himself did. To the small and great. In verse 29, Paul is saying, look, whether short or long, I wish that all of you, all who hear me today, would believe and be as I am. All who hear, the king and the governor and the military leaders, but also the servants and the nobodies, and even his opponents. So the word of God is not bound by human partiality. In uh, chapter 24, Drusilla, who was the wife of the prior governor, had audience with Paul. Here, Bernice, the wife of the king, the queen, is, is also here in attendance and audience. So there's no partiality. Men and women, powerful and the poor, are hearing the word. The Word of God is not bound by human partiality. And of course, it works the other way too. The Word of God is not partial against the rich and the powerful. Agrippa's family, Agrippa II, that's who this is, is the great-grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great tried to kill the infant Jesus. He did kill the, the baby boys of Bethlehem. His son Antipas killed John the Baptist. His son, Herod the, or Agrippa I, killed James, the first apostle to be martyred and persecuted the church. And now his son, Agrippa II, is inheriting great power. He's the beneficiary of much injustice. He's part of a family of tyrants. But the word of God is not bound by human partiality, and so Paul has a message for him too. Paul, in his eyes, 
believes even Agrippa is deserving to hear a message of grace and forgiveness and transformation. And that's radical for us today. And let me ask you, have you, have you despised anyone lately? Have you shown partiality in any direction? Have you put someone outside of the reach of grace? Have you deemed anyone undeserving of forgiveness or past the possibility of transformation? Jesus told us that the measure we use to others is the measure that will be used to us. He said that the way we judge others is how we will be judged by him. So the word of God is not bound by human partiality. Let us also be free of it. And number five, the word of God, I love this one. In this story, we see that the word of God is not bound by the need to be successful. So look now at verse 30. So Paul's finished. After this, the king rises, the governor, Bernice the queen, and those who were sitting with them, they all go. And when they withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. We should let him go. He could be let go if he didn't appeal to Caesar. But notice what they didn't say. They didn't say flat on their faces, Jesus is Lord. I'm a sinner. Baptize me now. They didn't. But the word of God is not bound to the need to be successful, or at least successful as we define it. The word of God is not bound to our timetable, and we will find out in heaven those who were in that room on that day who later did believe. And maybe it was Bernice. Maybe it was Festus. Maybe it was the king. Maybe it was some of the nobodies, the servants who were there. Maybe it was even some of Paul's opponents. So we see that the word of God is not bound. We also see that the effect of the word is real change. When that word goes forth unhindered because it's in the power of God and it's received in a heart that's open and willing to receive it, real change is the effect. So in this story, we see that first, this happens to Paul himself. The whole beginning of his speech is his own testimony, his experience of meeting Jesus. For in his case, it was Jesus himself who brought the word of truth to Paul. Jesus showed up in a vision and changed Paul's life forever. So look at verse 13. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And also, what is a goad? No, Paul didn't ask that. We asked that because we're far removed from an agrarian society. A goat is a pointy stick they would use to prod cattle along. But that phrase was also used in ancient Greek literature to refer to opposing deities, kicking against the goats. So Jesus responds to Paul's question. He says, I am Jesus. So, so Jesus is telling the truth about Jesus in probably the three most important words that he could say to Paul, I am Jesus. Because in that moment, not only is he identifying himself, but he's showing, I'm the one that you thought, Paul, was dead and gone. I'm actually alive. And when you're touching my people and persecuting them, you're touching me. You're persecuting me. I am Jesus. But rise. 
Stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you've seen me and those things in which I will yet appear to you. Now, skipping down to verse 19, Paul says, So I was obedient, King Agrippa. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I did what he told me to. I declared in Damascus, then Jerusalem, and all the region of Judea, and also to Gentiles, I called them to repentance, to turn to God, and to perform deeds in keeping with repentance. I was faithful to the commission that was given to me. I did it. My life was changed, Paul is saying, when the word of God was proclaimed to me. I went from being the chief of sinners to one of the greatest of saints, skeptic to believer, an opponent to a proponent, from death to life. And not only did this word have the effect of real change in Paul's life, but now that Paul went on his mission, wherever he went proclaiming this word, it brought real change wherever he proclaimed it. So he describes his mission. He says, I was sent to bring out of darkness those whom God has, who desires to come into the light, to open their eyes, to turn from the evil things to that which is good and holy, from the power of Satan, he says, to the power of God, from having no place to having a place in God's kingdom, in his family. Talk about change, opening eyes that were blind, darkness to light, evil to good, the power of Satan to the power of God, sins washed away and washed clean and going from having no place to having a place in God's kingdom forever. Not only is the Word of God not bound, it brings real change when hearts are ready to receive it. I know a woman who had a very difficult upbringing. Her childhood was horrendous. As she got older, she turned to alcohol as a way to medicate the pain. And after several failed marriages, just a life of sadness and sorrow and sin, she met Jesus. She also went through AA, and her life was turned around, and now you wouldn't know anything of her former life if you met her, because she just radiates the peace and the joy and the healing of Jesus. And I love this woman. I respect her so much. She's one of my favorite people. The Word of God utterly changed her life. I know a man who was struggling under the sin of pornography and continued to struggle with it even into the years of marriage. He tried to manage his sin on his own. He tried to do the damage control on his own. He tried to keep it hidden from his wife and from others. He accepted the fact that he was probably just always going to struggle until a man of God spoke a word of truth and he realized, no, there's a deeper repentance to do. And there are deeds in keeping with repentance that I have not yet done that I can do. And this man changed his life. And after years of struggling, he is now free because a man of God spoke a word of truth, spoke the word of God to him, and he responded. So let me now speak to any of you here today who would not call yourself a Christian. We know that every Sunday there are always at least a few folks who are here who would say, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really a Christian, or maybe I'm curious, or maybe I'm half in or half out. So you're Festus today. You're, you're Bernice. You're Agrippa. 
And maybe you're wondering what the truth of Jesus will do for you. Well, let me tell you, the Word of God will change your life if you give your life to Jesus. You can be delivered from darkness into light. All the wrong things you've done can and will be forgiven in Jesus, and he can give you the power to live a new life, a changed life that is free of bitterness, hatred, uncontrollable habits, and destructive behaviors. He can heal you body and soul. He can give you a joy that you cannot now imagine. And if you are afraid of dying, and if you're afraid of death, he says to you, in me, you will live forever rejoicing in my love. Also, he can set you free from the power of Satan and bring you into the power of God. And if right now you're saying, I'm not sure I believe in the power of Satan or, or evil or that I'm under the dominion of either, I will say, okay, I can't convince you of that. But if you ever come to a point where you change your mind and you realize, I am under the power and the grip of evil or even the evil one, then in that moment, please remember what I say. Tell that to Jesus and ask him to help you because he will deliver you from the power of Satan. To believers, I just want to finish with this encouragement to you. As I said earlier, we all have a ministry of the Word of God. We all have a role to play where we're speaking truth about God, proclaiming the truth about Jesus to others in a way that builds up and strengthens faith. And it may be like Paul, you have a testimony about what God has done in your life, or maybe that you have a testimony about what God is doing in your life today. Or maybe that you simply have a word of encouragement or something true about God that a brother or a sister needs to hear in that moment. I read to you from Colossians 3, teaching and admonishing one another, the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. If you're not in a res group, signups are today, and I do encourage you, that's one way to be exercising your ministry of building others up in the word of God. If you have children, you're teaching them the ways of God with your friends, with your roommates. If you're involved with our res kids or our res youth ministry in official and unofficial ways, oh, that we would be a people who are proclaiming constantly the truth of God to one another. But those chains, those chains that I mentioned earlier, I'm going to read those out again. And if any of these chains feel like ah, that's a chain on me, I want you to name that before the Lord. And as you come for communion, just ask him to both break that chain, but also give you the faith to believe that his word is not bound by that chain the chains of hardship and suffering, the chains of anxiety and the stress of life, the chains of fear, especially the fear of what others will think of you, the fear of rejection, the fear of ridicule, the chain of human pressure to say the right thing, the chain of, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know I was supposed to be doing this. The chain of insecurity. Wait, me? But I'm fill in the blank. The chain of apathy or any other's that you know that I have not named. Name those chains before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to receive that faith to believe that your word is not bound and that you want your word to go forth through me. And may we see the kingdom come in this year. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. 
For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.